Well, good morning to our FS club from uh, a slightly rainy London, uh, and, or I should say good noon, I, I think would be more accurate. And I'm delighted to welcome Tim Jones, who's the senior advisor to the trustees of Alia. We'll hear a lot more about that in a moment. Uh, the subject today is positive income, positive purpose, listed fixed income opportunities with positive social impact. Uh, and it really is a delight for me to be able to welcome Tim because uh, Tim is a dear friend who's been working in this area of finding ways to use fixed income to help achieve positive social impact for some decades and with great success and here to share with us uh, many of those successes. Now you'll know me, I'm Michael Mainelli, I'm one of the directors of Zien and it really is my privilege to be able to introduce uh, many of these webinars and I can only do so thanks to the tolerance, uh, yes it is tolerance, but also the wide intellectual interest of our sponsors who will do allow us to range widely and freely across technology, economics and finance. Uh, and today our focus is going to be on finance. We've covered fixed income a few times over the years, but Tim is going to be looking at a particular aspect of fixed income, which is how, how to handle uh, the social impact. Uh, and I know that many of our sponsors are involved in funding or providing systems uh, that support these types of activities. And so I, I'm sure that many of you out there will find it helpful. Now, today's format is uh, fairly straightforward. My job is to get out of the way and let you hear from our expert, Tim. Uh, I'm not introducing Tim, not because I'm rude, but because we want to get to the meat of the matter and you've got his biography online. Uh, to answer some obvious questions, the slides are already up and posted and you can access them. The recording will go up in approximately 48 hours. And yes, we most sincerely welcome questions uh, because we're going to have about 20 minutes uh, for Q&A with uh, Tim. If you could, please type your questions into the GoToWebinar question facility, then I will feed them into a conversation with Tim. Uh, Tim will get all of your questions at the end. So if we have far too many, uh, he will still get all of your questions with your emails and can respond to those. Uh, and if you just want to ping Tim a hello or a welcome or a thank you, uh, again, just go ahead and use the question facility. I will make sure that he gets all of those uh, just just after we conclude. So uh, with no more ado, uh, Tim, the floor is very much yours. Thank you, Michael. That, that's very kind. Now, I'm looking at a screen which just says go to webinar. It doesn't have any slides, but we won't worry about that, I'm, I'm sure. Um, it says I can close this window now. So if I try that, I'll see what happens, shall I? Why not? <laughs> There we go. Ah, oh, that did nothing at all. Okay. Um, right. Now, I suppose it's always one of those things, isn't it? You get a technical trouble when you didn't expect it, but there we are. I shall disregard it and carry on. I have now okay. got something on my screen, so good. Right. Off we go. I, I better start, Michael, if you could go to the next slide. Um, I'll better start by introducing who Alia is, because as you said, you can read about me later on, and it'll probably become obvious as we go through uh, this morning. But I wanted just to introduce Alia to you first. Um, as you can see on the screen, we, we've come to call ourselves an organization which is amplifying impact. And um, you might wonder what that means. I struggled with it over the years, but it's a form of words which we've had to fix on to try and describe a large array of social impact work, which we do. You'll see we started in 1999, 22 years ago. Now, uh, we grew out of something called the Relationships Foundation, which is a Cambridge-based charity focused on relationships. 
that's very obvious from, from the brand name, I suppose. But it's not about the amount of money you might have in your pockets. It's more about whether or not you have a good relationship with your loved ones, your family, your neighbor, your community, your health service, your justice service. All of those relationships, whether you're rich or poor, are going to make a huge difference to the quality and well-being of one's life. And self-esteem, the relationship you have with yourself, is one of the primary uh, parts of that. And so the RF, Relationships Foundation, set up Alia to do something of practical terms which would benefit those sorts of issues. Now, social exclusion is one of the obvious reasons why we have relational challenges. It doesn't matter whether that is from unemployment or disability or lack of education or ethnicity or gender or religion or sexual preference, all of those issues, we're familiar with them all. What matters is social inclusion for everybody rather than what it is that makes you excluded. But in terms of exclusion, employment, the lack of employment, the lack of entrepreneurial opportunity is one of the most impactful impediments to, to the enjoyment of, of full social inclusion, of, of enough money to, to get by and so on. In fact, if you haven't got much money, you can't have much fun with anybody. So uh, just employment of itself is important. On the basis of employment, of course, you don't just need to have employers, you need to have innovation to create new employers, to create new employments. You need to have talent, talented people who can become entrepreneurs and who can become employers. And all of that you've got to do in a sustainable way because if we don't sustain our, our planet, our, our, our world, then the whole of our work is, is pointless. And of course, it's not just climate change on sustainability, it's food, water, poverty, all the UN. Uh, wider sustainable development goals. So the agenda is very, very broad, and we've had to focus on a number of strands which we think, uh, as a social impact organization rather than a for profit organization, we think and our trustees think makes some sense. You'll see on the table on the right that in a couple of years ago, 2019, we acquired City and Continental, uh, which is a, uh, the next slide, Michael, please. Um, Sitting Continental is a financial services company. Of course, it's regulated by the FCA. Uh, it, it focuses on charities and impact businesses. And to the extent it can make a profit if we can run it well, and we, we, we try and do that, um, if it can make a profit, it, the profit can be one of the income sources up to Alia to do more of its impact work. There are three strands of activity in Alia Sitting Continental debt capital markets, so primary issuance and advice to those issuers who'd like to raise capital, raise debt finance. Uh, trading and brokerage, which is important because if we don't look after secondary markets and create interest in the primary issuance, then you, you, you can't get the optimal price for issuing uh, new bonds. And of course, administration of existing bonds, bond services, and that side stretches to third party organizations beyond ourselves where we can make a revenue stream and looking after other issuers. Um, today I want to cover three themes. Um, I'll talk a little bit about charitable borrowers. Who are they? What do they finance? And why do they list? A touch on ESG is largely obvious, but we'll touch on it slightly. And then a very quick canter through the earlier approach of what, what we do in the, today's world. So the next slide, Michael, please. Um, starting with charitable borrowers, one of the curious things I found when I went around talking to some of the financial institutions about whether or not we were on the right track to create listed uh, fixed income instruments, 
somebody said to me from a very well-known broker, I won't name who, uh, charities should not borrow. It is absurd that you want to go and raise debt for a charity. I think that rather misses the point of how our social infrastructure operates uh, in this country, because a great many charities or a great many organizations have charitable status. Now, social housing is a great example. Education is another finance charity bank. Uh, Charities Aid Foundation, Medical, Welcome Foundation, people like that, well-being, motability, um, care homes, uh, hospices. There's a whole array of capital assets, in other words, in the country that is operated by charitable bodies who need access to debt capital. So that's who and that's what they're financing for. Next slide, uh, Michael, please. Let's just touch on why anybody would list a security. Well. Obviously, the three main areas I'm going to touch on, uh, it broadens the investor base. Many, many institutions can't buy an unlisted um, instrument. They need liquidity. It may be the fund has a constitution which requires them to invest in a particular structure, or it could be a passive fund. These days, there are more and more passive funds, and of course, they will be tracking an index rather than actively seeking investments. But nevertheless, there's a large slug of money which one wants to access from that sector there's also the offshore sector people want to come in uh, and and of course retail investors in terms of mainstream um, um, markets um, one of the great strengths of of, 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 the, of a listed instrument is that it can be very difficult um, for a charity to be mainstream they they often require small sums they might only want 10 to 50 million pounds they are um, usually constructed without equity, so there's no listed equity instrument on the market. And charities are also governed by a financial um, reporting standard called SORP. And basically, SORP obfuscates the, uh, the, the strength or financial resources of a charity, in my view. It makes it very difficult for a borrower to assess their credit. So charities find it rather difficult for this. But nevertheless, a listed debt security, a bond, is, of course, mainstream. Uh, next slide, Michael, please. Now, regulated. The point of regulation is, of course, it inspires competence. There has to be scrutiny of a prospectus by lawyers. Uh, there has to be compliance with UK listing rules, financial conduct authority, um, and there are penalties if people get it wrong. Um, mini bonds, we've heard about a lot of those. They got a really bad press because they're not regulated, um, uh, and quite rightly, have now found their market very, very limited because they're just not a good thing. Um, you can't just though, list on any any um, exchange. There was an effort, you may recall, to create the social stock exchange. And an effort, um, there's something called FX, which is perfectly valid, useful index, but it's not mainstream. It's not, a, it's not the London Stock Exchange. Uh, and you need the London Stock Exchange to be respected and recognized, properly regulated. And of course, you need daily liquidity market makers have to make two-way pricing every day. Um, and regulated news service, uh, ongoing investor relations. There's an awful lot about being in a, in a regulated stock exchange, which is worth doing if you want to get access to capital. Now, next slide, Michael, if we may. In terms of bond offerings, um, basically two kinds, wholesale offerings, will often be aligned with the ICMA uh, ESG principles. Uh, they may be very large, they might be a quarter of a billion, that sort of order. And they will 
usually be issued by a corporate, sometimes by a, by a university, Cambridge, Oxford, charities and so on. The retail sector of offering uh, is, is much smaller, as I said, 10, 50 million. They'll be issued by charities uh, and they will always publish a social impact report. Here's the next slide, Michael. Um, just to touch on impact reports, um, the, what I call post-truth ESG. You have noticed, I think the Capitol Hill riots are a pretty potent example of how the post-truth world relies not on fact, but on emotion, uh, on, on feelings communicated through social media, through images and so on. And so we have to be mindful these days that we can't simply be doing our corporate reporting saying we listen to the views of our investors. It doesn't cut any ice anymore. Uh, more and more investors demand a direct, tangible, um, you know, proven evidence of what is happening with their money. And fund managers these days, if you're running a, um, an ESG fund, you do need some sort of material that you can promote. You, you've got to show people what it is that their money is doing. And so um, in trying to, uh, to target, the next slide, Michael, trying to target instruments which will uh, help um, address the, the current trend of ESG thinking, and at the same time, give an instrument which is listed, which will give a, a, a daily liquidity and so on. Um, the, two, the two offerings, the wholesale market, large housing associations, they'll be issuing 100 million, 250 million or more. Uh, a little bit of universities, other charities, um, the Welcome Organ Foundation, people like that. On the retail side, in order to enable a, a retail bond distribution listed on the order book for retail bonds, um, the criteria really is efficient, uh, low-cost access to the public bond market. Um, we do that by having a boilerplate prospectus so that a borrower doesn't have to reinvent a wheel. We've simply boilerplated the process. We've engaged uh, a couple of magic circle law firms who do fixed price discounted work on, on the legal stuff to, to keep the pricing down. We've created a special purpose vehicle, retail charity bonds. PLC, which has its own section on the stock exchange to list the debt instruments that we issue. If you go to retail charity bonds, PLC on the stock exchange, you'll find a whole array of, of issuance. Um, what we do is raise capital in the bond market and non lend it to the charity. The investor, the bondholder recourse for the investor is straight to that charity. So there's no cross pollination of, of, of risk. Each bond stands on its own. Um, and the investor can look at the credit of the particular uh, uh, debt that we're promoting. And the board of RCB PLC is an independent board, all volunteers, none of them paid, um, with very, very experienced uh, debt capital professionals uh, running that board to ensure that the transaction review process is a very thorough one, sufficiently thorough, that the investor can place reliance on their sense of the credit there looking at. Uh, if we move on, um, the retail charity bond proposition itself uh, is, is pretty transparent as I've put on this slide here. There is a direct positive social impact. There's an annual social impact report which is published. Um, the credit is clear. People can understand what it is. From the charity's point of view, the covenants, they're clear to everybody, but they're a light touch. So our bonds are not secured. 
um, there don't amortize uh, so the coupon only has to be paid and then it's a bullet repayment at the end so that's great for the cash flow of the, of the charity borrower and it's clear to the investor what they're looking at in terms in terms of risk and what the coupon might be and of course there's always at least currently two or three market makers making daily pricing both ways two-way pricing in the market so although that doesn't guarantee liquidity it does mean that there's a far better chance of liquidity when you need it than than not and as i mentioned i'm social impact of course now the important thing is of course to get the the bonds placed you have to offer an appropriate and a competitive return and i'll just be interested in your views on what you think an appropriate and competitive return might be bearing in mind it's unsecured it's a seven to ten year term single bullet repayment light touch covenant and issued by a charitable body so a poll okay so tim tim has uh, described this a seven to ten year rcb bond unsecured interest only non-amortizing and the likely coupon what do you think it will be less than three percent uh three percent to five percent five to seven or greater than seven percent you're asking a really good audience, Tim. So they're normally uh, fast on the buzzers and over 50% have voted. And I'll leave the poll open just a, a few seconds. Great. Over three quarters have voted. Almost there. I'll close the poll in just a moment or two. Okay. And I'm now going to share the results. So 56% uh, thought it was between three and five. Uh, and 37% thought it was between 5 and 7. Nobody thought it'd be less than 3%, and only 7% thought it might be greater than 7%. Over to you. Thanks, Michael. Well, that's, that's, that's great. Let me just take you through some examples, and it'll become clear to you that 56% of you are pretty much spot on. So that's uh, very impressive. I just run through a very, a very few examples to, just to give you. So I've got the tombstone on the left of the screen and, and, and some social impact images from social impact reports on the right. Uh, Charities Aid Foundation, well-known organization, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Uh, they have a bank, the CAF Bank. So we raised 30 million at 5% initial coupon for Charities Aid Foundation to then sell on then to their bank uh, so that they can in turn use that capital to fund the sorts of charitable work which they do. The next one is um, uh, Belong. Belong is a provider of retirement care villages, charitable organizations, got several villages, it's expanding quite quickly. Uh, you'll see on the right-hand side is the social uh, impacts that the, that the organization is achieving. They've illustrated it there by a, a lady using a gym on site in the villages. And um, that was a 15 million at 4.5% for an eight year term. I should just say on the terms, all of our bonds have a two year window at the end in order to allow refinancing without uh, breaching the, 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 the covenant. Um, the next example I wanted to give you is Golden Lane Housing. Now this is one of the lower uh, priced issuances which reflects the social impact, the demand from the institutions for potent social impact. Uh, as you will see from the illustration, uh, Golden Lane is, is an offshoot of MenCap and they provide uh, assisted living facilities for people with learning difficulties. And that is a household of four independently living people uh, in the home financed by uh, that particular issue. The next one, uh, similar but slightly different, is a Hightown is a housing association that is providing ordinary social housing for those that is housing for the uh, 
tenants who have need of, of a place to live at an affordable price. And that's a great illustration. And that's you know, slightly more expensive, but nevertheless, a 4% issue price. And the last example I just wanted to give you on, on um, bond issuance is the Anik uh, Garden Trust. Now, Anik Garden Trust is, is if you like, heritage. It, it, it's real estate. Uh, it's in Northumberland, in the northeast of the country. And this 18 million was raised last year at 5%, just as COVID was impacting, which means that the gardens are closed or had been closed. Uh, and, and therefore, the investors, I think, took a reassuring and comfortable leap of faith uh, that this is a good issue. Now, of course, it isn't just to provide access to gardens, the, the development of the gardens, uh, in addition to the existing facilities uh, at Anik, uh, will give them greater footfall, greater sustainability, and therefore more ability to have more people who are disadvantaged to come and enjoy and get well-being benefits from the gardens themselves. That's a good example. Just to move slightly further on, we also, of course, provide advisory services. So Charity Bank, is another example of uh, an institution who needed to raise tier two capital. And our task was to help them in that raise, not rather than issuing a bond, it was, it was to help them raise tier two capital. So that in, in turn, they have the balance sheet to enable them to lend to these sorts of institutions to whom they want to give their support. So there's just a few examples of the sorts of things we do. Hopefully. When we've done all that, we make a surplus. That's the, that's the intention. Um, I just wanted to very briefly canter through what our approach has been over the last 20 years, what we do, how we do it. Um, practical examples, at the Future Homes, that is a homelessness initiative where we build modular housing units which can go on very cheap land. Now, cheap land, that means temporary land, land that's waiting for planning consent, land that is going to be available for perhaps three to five years and then will be developed. Putting modular homes on it means you can uplift them and put them somewhere else without having to demolish or destroy uh, the, the unit. The Innovation Lab is, is a laboratory in Peterborough where we, we work with Anglian Water developing all kinds of sustainability products and systems. The Age Tech Accelerator is pretty obvious, it does, as, as you'd expect, it is about the silver economy and how you can improve the ability of all of us as we age to become economically um, less expensive to the state, shall we call it. In other words, to create employment and, and technology which, which enable us to live a, a, a fulfilling and uh, less expensive on the health service uh, life. Um, I just want to touch very briefly on to a bit more detail in a couple of the um, examples that we do. Uh, if it goes to the next slide, the ALIA approach to impact acceleration. Um, this is a, a, a strand we've run for many, many years now. It's dedicated to tech for good. Now, tech for good isn't just about clean tech, it's about educational technology, fintech, health tech, um, building solutions. There's a whole array of, of, of tech for good uh, strands of activity. When I say 70 million has been raised since 2017, that is the sum raised by the participants in the program. That's not us raising it for them, that is them raising it for themselves. And I'll give you an a couple of examples of, of, of uh, the sorts of things that have been created from that initiative. The next slide will show you that we've got uh, Tinkerbell Labs. That is a, um, the world's first self-learning braille device for the visually impaired. BIOS is a brilliant bit of technology that, that enables an amputee to 
to connect their nervous systems to a particular body part. And Cambridge Cancer Genomics, as it says on the tin, uh, is a cancer therapy institution. Those are just three examples to give you a flavor of the sorts of things which we might uh, try and support. And the last stand I wanted to just run through quickly with you is far more local, a community level initiative, which we've run all over the country. Uh, we, it's called Grow Your Business. And Grow Your Business is focused on um, local micro and small business communities. Um, as, you, as you will see, I'm sure this is not news to anybody, but 99.3% of all UK businesses have got less than 49 employees. We, of course, are very much aware of all the large employers, but there are relatively few of those. And these small ones are the ones who probably need most help because it's where the employment's generated. It's where you need to find the talent and where you need to find the innovations to create those jobs because that's the root of job creation and then therefore the root of relational well-being and everything else we've talked about earlier. So supporting those people with training, mentoring, uh, guides for their entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial journey is what we do. I've got three examples, just local London ones, I wanted to show you, just to sort of give you a clue. Um, this has come from our East London uh, uh, Grow Your Business initiative. Flow on the left, uh, their advertising slogan is tampons in a nice cream tub. It's, it's uh, feminine hygiene that's sustainable using bamboo and, and organic cotton. Uh, Kids Know Best is a, a brilliant advertising agency, digital agency, uh, created by youth and run by youth. And uh, the other, uh, just for the sake of, of giving a, a broad example, I Am Not Okay is a vegan cheese um, startup in Hackney. Um, it's not inexpensive, but it's very, very good. I've tried it and I can recommend it. So. That's just to give you a sense of the sorts of things that we do. So, as I said, very, very broad. Um, to go back to our, our purpose, is it our purpose to make a profit? Uh, my, my closing point is yes, it absolutely it is. And it is so that we can tackle the inclusion, the talent, the innovation, and sustainability agenda, which we think is so important to the well being of us all. Thanks. Tim, that was great. Thank you so much. Uh, a real delight to, to, to have that tour de force. Folks, uh, as ever, please uh, type your questions into the GoToWebinar uh, facility. I was extremely impressed at our audience being pretty much spot on on that 3% to 5%. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> that's there. Uh, re really intriguing. Um, we've got a few questions here uh, and comments. Right. Um, Bob McDowell is curious. How, how do you view the private placement market for charities? Um, it wouldn't be right to say it's not accessible at all. Uh, it, it, it is accessible. Uh, it tends to be for larger issuance. It's, it's so far very difficult to find private placement takers for, I would say, less than really 75, 80 million. Um, so it limits the, the array of organizations which are charitable and which want to finance assets at that sort of level so um can be done we, we we've done some but uh, but but not i'd like to do more but uh, it, as i say it's a bit of a niche hmm. um hugh purser is asking a question and uh, hugh don't be shy he's he's wondering perhaps it's a little bit too philosophical i don't think so uh in your opinion tim do you think that esg uh 
percolates upwards? You know, is it bottom up or is it opposed more top down from uh, investor demand? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. I think it it is a two way street, isn't it? I think it began as as if you'd will a bit of lip service to an agenda uh, and reflected very much as often I think is the case um, in my own experience you, you you'd find a, an investment from the fund manager saying I need you to show the performance it's a total return on my investment that I'm looking at what don't don't um, don't give me a huge dividend if you need the money to invest and give me give me a better uh, capital return on, on share price but it's the total return after when you talk about ESG, don't talk to me because I can't sell that. Now that has shifted in my experience. That has really shifted in the last two years, very, very clearly. Um, so much so that corporate reporting now is no longer simply enough to say we listen to our investors in that kind of platitude, which I think people said, because investors are, are fighting back and, and are voting with their, with their money. And you, again, you see that in this sort of post-truth era, if you will, of, of social media driving investor behaviors in quite large ways and making a real difference. So I, I do think um, the, the, the boot is now on the other foot and, and the investor power um, is, is significant. Okay. Um, Arthur Scully uh, is curious, do you see potential for London, for example, issuing municipal bonds for projects like rebuilding Hammersmith Bridge? I do, yes, in a nutshell, I, I do. Um, I suspect it's simply the political uh, challenge that, that, that stops folk from doing it. But I, I do think, I've always, for years, advocated that the more and more we have community, social, local investment in community, local infrastructure, that'll be a good thing. There's nothing like people putting their money where your mouth is. You know, when, when people buy into our bonds, I will get phone calls from investors asking me, what have, what have you done with my money? It's a bond. I haven't given you that. It's not, you know, I'm not making a charitable donation to you. What I'm doing is making an investment and I want you to tell me what you've done with it. And that sense of ownership of the challenge of, of, the, of the social infrastructure that we might need, whatever it might be, whether it's a street lamp or a school, I think um, the more we can have public subscription for a return, not, not, not for charity, um, the better. Now, it isn't only, only only charitable organizations like ours can issue those instruments. Anybody can do it. It's just that what we do is, is we use the profit we make from it to do more social impact, which is the circular argument which we which we advocate. I can see the argument wanting to explore the boundaries of what's what of the possible. Andrew Ross has an interesting question. Uh, would Alia consider funding for farmers and landowners wanting to invest in regenerative agriculture? and environmental land management schemes. Uh, yeah, I see no reason why philosophically Alia wouldn't. Um, we have a strand, I've talked about RCB PLC, which is retail charity bonds. They have to be charitable status to utilize that. However, we also have Alia Social Impact Investments Limited, which is a, a sister um, organization through which we can issue um, that sort of instrument, in other words, environmentally useful. So the criteria would be, on the one hand, from, from our government's point of view, is it going to do impact, social, socially impactful, useful work? Yes, if it is. 
And secondly, it's about the investor appetite. Then you've got to go, we would have to go off um, with a business plan, clearly spend some time working on the business plan because often uh, the business plan doesn't optimize itself for the, to the views of a lender. So get that right, get the proposition right, go and talk to investors and see what they say now. They, they may come back and say, no, not at all, not, not for any price, but they more probably will come back and say, yes, I'd like that and, and I'll need a coupon of X. And it's that point where you have the discussion about, okay, is it worth paying coupon of X for you to have this capital for this tenor to do your task? And so it's a very iterative process, but it's almost, I, we wouldn't rule anything out on the basis that we didn't like the impact it was going to make. It would be, well, does it really make an impact? Do investors want to invest in it? Uh, Robert Payne, he's curious if you foresee a possibility for a combination of public finance plus private subscription bonds for local initiatives, or is that just sort of overcomplicating things? <laughs> I'd, I'd like to think we could. It would be great if we could, wouldn't it? Um, does it overcomplicate it? Well, it complicates it. Overcomplicates it. I don't see why. Um, I've yet to find any of the law lawyers with whom we work who, who said, oh, I can't possibly create a perspective to do that. You know, uh, it will come down again, really, to how clear the bondholder recourse is uh, if something goes pear-shaped um, and whether the, the public sector element is deemed trustworthy and not subject to political change from the great risks. Social impact bonds is a good example, is the political risk that whilst you, you may think I'll put my money into that jolly good cause, if it's run by a commissioner who is, who is accountable to a politician, you definitely do know that change, changing the politician will change the policy and your money may not be quite what you thought it was going to, going to be. So I think we have to be mindful of, of um, the governance structure of, of the public. Um, Martin White is curious, do any of these bonds ever get repaid by mechanisms other than refinancing? Well, I was going to, I was going to say not so far. There, was, there has been one very small example, yes, but it, was, it, was, it, was, it wasn't listed. It was a small one we, we did for a, a, um, a territorial army charity. And uh, <laughs> it okay. raised, raised the capital. From it, you know, good family of supporters that were members of it or had been in the regiment and so on. Um, but they were lucky enough to have some benefactors who 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 then said that I don't think we should have this debt and be paying coupon. I'll just a number of them um, paid it off just by by voluntarily the membership saying let's let's just be generous. Let let's let's redeem it. So that's what they did. Uh, that notionally, by the way, Michael, is an interesting point. Over the years, I think it's something. It's, it's well more than 7% of bond subscriptions have, have been foregone by, by the bondholder as a donation to the charity because they've got, they have so enjoyed the work of the charity that they bought a bond from. They said, actually, I'm going to bequeath this or I don't need it back. I'll, you, I'll donate it when, when, when the thing matures. So it's quite interesting that people do have a passion for, for social impact. Uh, sort, sort of on repayment, Bob McDowell is curious, you know, what if at all? is the opportunity for the issuance of undated or perpetual bonds? Um, well, certainly there is an opportunity. Well, yes. 
I, I, we've, we've done an example for Ecology Building Society, which, which was which was to raise them perpetual uh, debt. It wasn't a bond, uh, of course, but it, it was capital finance. Um, again, there's no reason technically why one can't do it. It comes down to whether or not we can get market makers to be comfortable to make a, a two-way pricing all the while, um, whether you can find investors that, that are happy with that, and of course that's largely going to be a function of the liquidity, I suspect, I'm not sure, but my instinct would be uh, that there would be, and therefore would have to be of a scale, I think, where you'd have sufficient issuance that there would be a reasonable amount of two-way trading uh, to make it worth the market makers while, uh, 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 and to, to get the issuance going. So it's going to be quite a pioneering event when that happens, I suspect, because if not, we haven't done it before. Um, and like many things, I suspect it will be our usual inertia and fear of doing something new, because if it's our money, we're <laughs> cautious, aren't we? The breed of animals. Yeah. Well, Arthur Scully's bit like Hammersmith Bridge, and he points out, you know, repayment could come from tolls or selling the data the bridge could generate or something might might make, a, I guess, a perpetual more useful, um, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back, back effectively to mutual ownership structures. Um, yeah, um, Susanna Lee uh, would like you to, could you share some success stories of investment in tech for good? I mean, you, you raised Tinkerbell Labs, but other things? Uh, yes, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so leaping straight to front of my mind is a liquid air engine, um, which struck me as being entirely implausible from my physics and chemistry A-level days. Um, you know, air doesn't catch fire, that doesn't work, and it was explained to me, no, no, you don't set fire to it, you compress it. And uh, if you compress it a lot, it will turn into liquid. And in doing, turning it into liquid, it will generate a lot of heat. Well, we'll save the heat in, in, a, in a, a vacuum flask of oil, so we've got that saved. Uh, and then when we want some power, we'll, 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 we'll unleash our liquid air, and it'll expand 700 and something times to one. That's not as much as a diesel compression engine expands, but it's certainly sufficient to, to drive motive force and to turn a shaft or do whatever you wanted to. Uh, and at that point, it'll it'll get very, very cold. Uh, and so what we'll do is we'll, we'll use the heat from that we exchanged earlier. We'll inject that into a little engine from a diesel injector at the same time as we inject some liquid air. And they've got a nice thermal uh, uh, process. Nothing's going to be under thermal stress. And we've got free power. And we'll connect that to a wind turbine. Lots of wind turbines, the air is abundant, there's lots of wind. Uh, we don't always need the electricity, so why don't we just run the wind turbine and compress the air, fill it, fill a tank of liquid air and a tank of hot oil, and then we'll just switch it back on when we want to turn it back the other way and get oh, fantastic. What a brilliant idea, said I. Can they sell it? No, they can't, but you know, one day I'm sure they will. That's an example. Another example is is called PaveGen. PaveGen put um uh, you know carpet tiles that you have on the office floor? Well, if you put rigid ones on them, just move a little bit. Just a slight tilt. Not, not okay. enough to tumble over. But you capture footsteps. You capture the kinetic yeah. energy of people walking around. And again, you, you fill up a battery because you, you've done that. So there's, there's a couple of examples. Um, Cambridge Carbon Capture is, is a, a technology which uses selenium. No, it doesn't. It uses uh, serpentine. Uh, as a rock, uh, which captures carbon dioxide, and so they're doing a big trial at um, the gas, sorry, the coal-fired thermal nuclear, um, coal-fired power station, which I can't remember the name of it now, um, to capture the CO2 from emissions of, of generating coal. So also, I mean, there's a whole abundance, and, and again, the medtech stuff 
applications for kids who've got the lung disease to blow into a I can go on. I have to stop. No, I gather. <laughs> Susanna, thanks you. Uh, just out of curiosity, could you repeat the name of the carpet tile one again? Uh, yes, Pave Gen. P A V E Gen. Pave Gen. Okay, super. Uh, um, I suppose paving slabs are probably a better example. Okay. Uh, Hugh Purser is, uh, is curious. Your bond pricing examples, they were, they were all pre-COVID, were they? Uh, and if so, has there been any significant change in pricing in the last 12 months? Um, uh, very good uh, point. No, the, the Annick Garden Trust was was uh, pretty much at the time of, of, of COVID. Um, yes, we haven't done uh, an issue subsequently. There are one or two in the, in the melting pot and current pricing talk I think would it's <laughs> over the last four months bond deals have, have, have done a bit of a you know an up and a down and a, and a, and a an up and a down um it's difficult to say because until you get there with the on the day you never quite know but my instinct would be it'll certainly be the three to five percent uh range I think we'll look at the credit really is well typically it's the credit that will drive it and just to close, um, if we look at this as a kind of a triangle of issuers, investors, and the general environment, you know, what one attitude would you like to change amongst issuers, amongst investors, and in the general environment to help this sector grow? Uh, it would be simply to have the the awareness that the label charity doesn't mean you go around with a tin to raise money. Of course, some charities do do that. But a vast amount of our social infrastructure, as I tried to illuminate earlier, relies upon not-for-profit governance structures because the job isn't about making a profit. The job is about making an impact. And you therefore need the organizations whose constitution is to do just that. Now, if we can get that public awareness out and, 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 and avoid this prejudice that charities must be either, either incompetent or, 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 or not able to have assets, not able to finance them, I think that would be a, a great change. Well, fantastic. Well, Tim, um, all good things must come to an end or a repayment schedule or something like that, unless we, unless, unless we do get Bob's Perpetuals out there. Um, so I'd like to say, if I could, uh, three quick rounds of thanks. Firstly, uh, to our sponsors for letting us range widely and freely. But I think you would have to admit that this is a very interesting corner of finance, and one that personally a, a confluence of ESG, uh, the rise of many uh, types of mutual vehicles to help our communities move forward uh, and just genuine investor interest, in my opinion, means this is going to be a growing area. And you have clearly uh, been a pathfinder in this, and we appreciate you sharing uh, your experiences uh, with us on that. And I hope that uh, our, our sponsors would agree. I'd like to thank the audience. Uh, some really good questions today. I got straight into it. I very much appreciate that. Uh, we are taking a small break uh, the rest of this week, but next week we come back with a bit of a vengeance. Uh, we're going to have the launch of the Global Financial Centers Index number 29, uh, and there are going to be some amazing changes in that uh, given uh, what's happened since COVID, and following that up on the same day with making a modern central bank where the author will be explaining uh, what this really means. So what I'd like uh, to do, though, if I could, is uh, most of all to thank you, Tim, uh, I've, I've really admired the work that you've done for quite a few decades, and I know you've really put your heart into it, and you've done it in a way uh, that still comes across in a, a wonderful, friendly style. And I hope that uh, today's session encourages more people to think about this type of financing 
for their charitable and social impact purposes. So thank you very much. And I'm afraid I'm unable to open the floodgates of applause, but I have brought with me my little applause meter um, in a charitable sense or a karmic sense. This is my Korean karmic <laughs> clapper. Uh, and that will have to, I'm afraid, substitute for opening the gates. But I've got a number of really uh, nice comments to forward to you, and I shall do that in a moment. Thank you very much, Tim. Thank you.